Part five of six, uh, which means next week is um, the last part. And I know it's a little strange to think about this or to even say it before Halloween, but next week's message actually dovetails into Christmas, okay? So you say, how in the world does Judges, what does Judges have to do with Christmas? Leave it to the professionals, but don't miss next week. It's going to be really, really, really good, okay? Um, and if you're, if you're new or maybe joining us for the first time in, in a long time, I'm going to catch you up here um, in a second. But I want, to do, I, want to, I want to do like a little pre-sermon thing. This isn't the sermon. It's kind of the setup to the sermon. So this part's free. You don't have to pay for this. Don't have to write anything down. There's no Bible parts. So you don't have to get your Bible part out. But I just, I just want you to think about something, maybe not right now, but maybe later on when you're going to sleep tonight. Um, here, here, here's what I want you to think about. Here's the pre-sermon. What kind of person do you want to be? Don't answer out loud. That'd be really awkward. What kind of person do you want to be? Like, think about it like this. When you leave the room and your friends are still in the room, you know they're talking about you, right? Like, what are they saying? What do they say about you? When you leave Thanksgiving and your parents are just sitting around talking about you or or reminiscing about when you were a kid and how how much you've grown up, what do they say about you? What kind of person... Do you want to be, maybe, maybe go way down the line, and the younger you are, the harder it is to think about this, but what do you want people to say at your funeral? Like what, kind of, what kind of person do you want to be? And, and if you only have one life to live, again, this isn't the sermon part, this is the pre-sermon part, I'll tell you when we get to the sermon, but if you only have one life to live, why not be extraordinary? Why not be extraordinary? And, and I don't mean extraordinary at something. I don't mean, um, like, you know people who are extraordinary athletes or extraordinarily smart or extraordinarily business-minded. Maybe they're an extraordinary musician and nobody really wants to be around them. So being extraordinary at something is not the same as being an extraordinary person. But, but what would it look like to be an extraordinary mom? to be an extraordinary boss, to be an extraordinary son, an extraordinary daughter, an extraordinary husband, an extraordinary whatever role you play, what if you just decided, even if it's just for a week, even if you don't, like you may be here today and you don't believe what we believe or you're not sure what you believe, even if, we'll get to the church part here in a second, this still isn't the sermon part, but when we get to that, okay, what what if just for a week, Just for seven days, every time you made a decision, um, every time you were tempted, every time you you got out your credit card, every time you were asked to do something by your parents, every time maybe you had the the opportunity to leverage your authority at work, what? what if you asked the question, what would an extraordinary person do here? Like this is sometimes, this is what I do as a leader. Because sometimes I'm faced with leadership decisions that I don't know what to do with. So what I'll do is I'll think of an extraordinary leader. I'll think of the best leader that I know, and I'll think, what would he do or what would she do? And then I'll just do that. And over time, the more I do that, the better leader I become. Because I'm doing what an extraordinary leader would do, and that makes me an extraordinary leader, hopefully. Okay, We'll start the sermon in just a minute. We're not quite there yet, but here's another way to think about it. I know some of you want me to get to the sermon so much. If, if you think everything I'm saying right now is just silly or it's hype um, or it's, you know, the, the power of positive thinking or psychobabble, I get it. I get it. But, but I want you to think about it like this. 
Um, what if your son or your daughter was here right now and they were listening to me say this? What if your boss was here right now? What if your best friend was here right now? And then you saw them in the lobby after service. Would you go up to them and say, hey, I know you heard all that stuff what Pastor Tim was saying about being extraordinary. Just ignore that. If your boss was here today, if your boss was watching online, would you later at lunch when you see him or her, would you go up to them and say, hey, thanks for coming to Grace Point today. I don't want you to be extraordinary tomorrow. If your son was here listening to this, would you go to him after service and say, hey, I didn't raise you to be extraordinary? No. You want people around you to be extraordinary. So why don't you try to be extraordinary? Why not at least give it a try? I think you should try that. You can do that, okay? You should at least be open to try it. Now, Here's where the sermon starts. You ready? Everybody ready for the sermon? If you're a Christian, it's like you're a follower of Jesus, you, you believe that there's a moment in time where you transferred your trust, your faith into Jesus and what he's done on your behalf. You've embraced him as savior. Like this idea of being extraordinary, it's not optional. And here's why. Because you believe there's a personal God who personally knows your name who has a personal plan for your life, who loves you, and who proved that by sending his son to die for your personal sins. And then he sent his spirit to live inside of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been invited. You've been called to every single day ask, okay, I know what I would normally do, how I would normally parent, normally respond, normally deal with money, normally respond to temptation, but... What would an extraordinary version of me do? In other words, what would I do if I remembered that God is with me, in me, and for me? What would I do? What would someone who they know, they believe that God is with them, in them, and for them do in this situation? Now, that, that tension I just created, you actually find that in the book of Judges. So if, if you're new or you're just joining us, this, is, this book of Judges is uh, the history of Israel for about 300 years. Um, and this 300-year period is in between the time that the nation um, gets into the promised land, Joshua tucks them in, kisses them goodnight, and then the time that they become a monarchy. So in between those two points is when the book of Judges happens. And for about 300 years, there's no king because Israel was supposed to be a theocracy. They were supposed to be, God would be the king and he would rule through his law. So Israel was supposed to be extraordinary. God was going to do unbelievable things. God did unbelievable things in them and through them. And the surrounding nations would look at them and they would go, okay, our crops are dying, but your crops aren't. You keep winning all those battles and we keep losing all our battles. Like what's up? And Israel was supposed to go, well, that's because our God is the one true God and reflect his glory back to him, to the nations around them. But when they got into the promised land, they became ordinary. They decided to start looking around at what everybody else was doing, all the ordinary nations around them were doing, and they decided to do what they wanted, when they wanted, with whomever they wanted, and they found themselves in this consistent cycle of disobedience, disaster, deliverance. Disobedience, disaster, deliverance is over and over and over again for about 300 years. So God would raise up, God would send them these judges, these leaders, and, and, and rescue them, deliver them from their enemies. We looked at one of those last week, right? His name was 
Samson, yeah. Samson is not a good story, but there's a lot you learn from Samson. Gideon is actually, he's a good judge. He's not a perfect judge, but he's a good judge. And we're going to look at Gideon's story today. And here's what's so interesting to me about Gideon. Like some of us, including me, Gideon believed in God, but he saw himself as ordinary. He saw himself as ordinary. He believed about himself what he told himself. Or maybe he believed about himself what what he gathered from the people and, and the culture and the environment around him. And God shows up in an unmistakable way in Gideon's life. It's like he shakes him. It's like, do you... Why are you viewing yourself as ordinary? Do you, do you forget that I'm with you? It's like, wake up. I want you to start acting like a person who believes they're extraordinary, not because of positive mental thinking, not because of your potential, not because of any of that stuff, but, but because the God of Israel is with you. So, Here's how the story goes. We're in Judges chapter 6. If you've got a Bible or a mobile device, if you want to follow along, we'll throw these verses up on the screen as well. Judges chapter 6, here's where the story of Gideon starts. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he, talking about God, gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So they disobeyed and faced disaster. That's the part of the cycle that they're in right now, okay? Midianites, they're like a distant cousin of the Israelites, but there's this ongoing feud between them. And at this point in history, the Midianites kind of had the upper hand. Second verse, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So they're not even living in their own cities. They're not, living, they're not sleeping in their own beds right now. They are in caves. They had to flee to the hills because whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. Skip down to verse 6. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Disobedience. Disaster, deliverance. This is when the deliverance part of the cycle happens. Okay, After seven years of famine, after seven years of living impoverished, living in caves, they did what some of you did in high school or college. They called their dad, right? And they said, Dad, I did exactly what you told me not to do. And now what you said would happen has happened. And I need you to come rescue me because I did exactly what you told me not to do. Israelite had to call on the God who set the rule they disobeyed. And it's like everybody in Israel is on the phone with God. God, we promise if you come down here, we'll never do this again. Everybody, don't we promise? Everybody say yes, we promise, right? It's like everybody in Israel, this is what we'll do, right? And and that's when Gideon comes into the story. Judges 6.11. The angel of the Lord, the spokesman for God, came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat, interesting detail, in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, threshing wheat is something you're supposed to do at ground level. Or somewhere where the wind can kind of blow away the chaff and the, the kernels of wheat are still there. But Gideon is so afraid of the Midianites. 
trying to preserve what little bit of wheat they could. So he's threshing wheat in a wine press, which means he's down in a hole or he's inside or he's, he's maybe in some deep valley where he can't be seen. Either way, he's doing it wrong. He's not where he's supposed to be. This is not where you thresh wheat because he's so afraid. Watch this. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And it's, it's like, are you, are, you, are you talking to me? Do you, do you see what I'm doing right now? Like I'm threshing wheat in a wine press. There is no mighty warrior here. I'm scared to death somebody's going to steal my wheat. There's no mighty warrior here. Gideon responds kind of the same way you and I do. I love this. He says, pardon me. He's so polite. He's a great husband. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? You've asked that question before, right? Or a version of this question. It's like, God, if you're good, why all this bad? If, if, if you're with me, why does it seem like everything's against me? Why do I still not have a job? Why am I still single? Why am I still having health issues? Why can't we have kids? Why, 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 why? If you're with us, I'd hate to see what it looked like if you weren't. Why? If you've ever asked that question, here's some good news. Gideon asked that question 3,300 years ago. And God is okay with it. He's not trying to run from it. He's not trying to ignore it. He's not trying to hide it. He actually put it right here in the best-selling book in history. Why? Why is all this happening? He asks another set of good questions. Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord, he's abandoned us. He's given us into the hands of Midian. Come on, Lord, come on. My whole life I've been hearing about Abraham and making him into a great nation. And then there was Pharaoh and there was Egypt and the Red Sea and manna in the wilderness and water from a rock. And yeah, 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 I've heard it all. Why does it seem like it, you were active then with them, but you're not active with me now? Why? It doesn't make any sense. It actually seems like you've abandoned us. It actually seems like you've handed us over to our enemies. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. And then he adds this, am I not sending you? It's like, you've been asking me for a deliverer. You're asking for me to show up. Here I am. Now, go deliver, Gideon. This is a message for another time. This is maybe down the road. But sometimes God asks us to be a part of answering our own prayers. To sit and just pray and pray and pray and not be active not be willing to be active. It's another message for another time. This, th th but this part right here, this should have been the part where the music swells and Gideon stands up, you know, like in the movies, and he gets really tall, sticks out his chest. Yeah! Right? Go deliver Israel from Midian. But this is history, not a fairy tale. So, th verse 15 
pardon me, Lord. Again, he's so polite. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Remember, Israel's made up of 12 tribes. He's from the tribe of Manasseh, so he's saying, I'm not even from one of the better-known tribes. I'm from like the weakest clan in the tribe, and I'm the last person in my family that would ever think to look to for rescuing. I, I'm, I'm threshing wheat in a wine press. Do I, did I tell you that? Did I mention that earlier? Okay, modern-day translation. Lord, I don't think you realize this, but I, I grew up in northeastern Kansas at a single-A school. Like, I graduated with 20 people. I didn't even make the top 10. I went, to, I went to a junior college, and I didn't even do that well there. I don't have any money. I'm barely middle class. Nobody's ever handed me a microphone and asked me to speak. I can't get a girl to go out with me. Like, I just got Facebook yesterday, and I got, like, four friends. Like, you're, I'm a nobody, and you're asking me to go rescue an entire nation? Right. So here's how the angel of the Lord responds. Then the Lord answered, Oh, then, never mind. I must be at the wrong house. Or is there, like, another Gideon here? It's not how he responded. It's not in there. I know some of you are checking, but it's not. Okay? What's, what's, what's next is so important, so I want to get your attention, okay? This is why you should read your Bible. You never know what I'm trying to sneak in, okay? <laughs> this is, this is, what comes next is so powerful because this is like, like Gideon, do you feel like a warrior? No. Well, you are. No, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you are. No, I'm not, Lord. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Well, I can't see it. Okay. Well, who are you going to believe? Like, are you going to believe your estimation of you, or are you going to believe God's estimation of you? Let's make that personal for a minute. Are you going to believe your estimation of you, or God's estimation of you? Like, which takes precedence in your life? Which is elevated more in your life? Because what if your view of you is based on what everybody else around you tells you about you, or what you tell you about you, and what if they're wrong? What if you're wrong? What if, what if you've thought about yourself as ordinary for so long that you've just started to believe you're ordinary, and what if God sees you differently? What if he doesn't see you like that? What if you spent your whole life going along with what everybody else says and does and lives, what everybody, how everybody else dates, how everybody else spends their money, how everybody else dreams, what everybody else does with their life, and what if God sees you differently? What if? This is the moment Gideon's having. The angel of the Lord's going, come on, come on, come on. If you could see you the way God sees you, you would step out of this place and be an extraordinary answer to the prayers of your people. Here's what the angel actually says to Gideon. To all his questions, all his doubts, all his reasons why he couldn't do what God was asking him to do. Here's God's answer. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And I would just add, he didn't say this, but I would add, and that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. See, the reality is God had been with the nation of Israel all 300 plus years of this saga, but they were blinded. They were blinded because they did as they saw fit. They did as everybody else around them. He'd, he'd been with Gideon the whole time. 
And here's defining moment in Gideon's life. Gideon, I'm not going to give you any kind of extraordinary gifting like I did Samson. I'm not giving you 101 ways to save your country from Midian. I'm simply asking you to believe. Would you simply, this is huge, would you simply live like a man who's confident that God is with you? That's all I'm asking. And my friends, that's what God's asking of you too. It's what he's asking of me. (laughs) He's simply asking us to believe that he is with us and then live your life as someone who believes that to be true. And and again, if this is, you know, Tim, this kind of sounds like win one for the Gipper and motivational speech. I get that. I hear that because you think I've never had an angel show up to me and tell me any of this. I get it. But just like last week, 1,300 years after Gideon, another Hebrew man writes to Christians in Rome. And and Rome was not the safest city to live in as a follower of Jesus. The Roman authorities actually made it dangerous to follow Jesus there. So to a group of persecuted Christians in Rome, things are not going well for them. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, if God is for us, us as those who've decided to follow Jesus, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God's for us, who can be against us? It's the same thing the angel of the Lord said to Gideon. I, don't, I, I know you don't think of yourself as a warrior. I know you went to junior college. I know you grew up in northeastern Kansas. I know things aren't going well for you right now. I know you're hiding, but I'm telling you, God sees you differently. And I just want you to trust me and step out of the way you've been viewing yourself and step into the way that God views you. If God is for you, who can be against you? That was written 1,300 years after Gideon. 1,300 years after Gideon, Paul reminds us, God is with you, God is in you, and God is for you. So why not wake up every day and just decide to live like that? What does an extraordinary person do? What does a person who believes that God is with them, in them, and for them do? How do they talk? How do they respond to temptation? How do they love? How do they treat their enemies? How do they work? How do they, how do they play? How do they treat their bodies? How do they treat other people's bodies? How, how, how do they respond to worry and anxiety? How do they respond to authority? What does it look like to live as if you believe God is with you, in you? And for you. And as Paul's writing this, it's like, I think he thinks they're not going to believe this. <laughs> they're not going to believe this just like Gideon didn't. Well, how do I know God's for us? Nero's using us to light his gardens at night. He's feeding us to the lions in the Colosseum. It sure doesn't seem like God's for us. How can we know God is for you? Come on. How do you know it's not me up here with my microphone just pitching my voice so you'll listen to every word? How do you know this isn't just public speaking 101? How do you know I'm not just manipulating your emotions? How do you know? Paul knew. We would wonder that. So he follows it with this. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Paul says, you can wake up every day and know that God is for you, with you, and in you, not by looking at your circumstances, not even by looking at your own faithfulness, 
Not by looking at how things are going with your health, at your job, in the economy, who gets elected, what's happening in the greater culture. You can wake up every single day with confidence that God is with you, in you, and for you because 2,000 years ago, he didn't even spare his own son. That's how much you're worth to him. And I'm not a finance guy, but this is finance 101. The value of a thing is the price it will bring. If you want to know how, some, how much something is worth, put it on eBay. Put it on Facebook Marketplace. Price it until someone buys it, and you'll know how valuable it is. The value of a thing is the price it will bring. And here's what the Apostle Paul was saying to all of us. God says you are the worth the life of his son. That's what you're worth to him. Now, we can wake up every single day and view ourselves with that kind of value. How does a man, how does a woman live when they know that God values them that much? He calls Gideon mighty warrior. He says to you, I'm with you, I'm in you, I'm for you. He says to Gideon, I know your nation's history, I know you haven't done well, I know what tribe you're from, I know all that. But that's not how I see you. Here's how I see you, mighty warrior. And here's how I see you, those of you living on the other side of Jesus. I'm with you. I'm in you. I'm for you. I love how one pastor puts it. He says, he said, it's dangerous to think of yourself more than you ought. But it's equally dangerous to think of yourself less than God does. It's dangerous. We would all agree. It's dangerous to think of yourself more than you should. But it's equally dangerous. I agree with him. It's equally dangerous to think of ourselves as less than God does. And, and, and the, the, the difference in the message, this isn't a message about trying to get you to be good, right? This isn't about behavior modification. This isn't stay out of trouble. You know, stay above the line. Don't do this. Don't do that. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. That's not what this is about. This is about you waking up every day, whether you plan to do it or not, and ask this question, what would an extraordinary person do? What would an extraordinary version of you do? What, if you're a Christian, if you've embraced Jesus as Lord, what would you do if you were confident that God was with you, in you, and for you? Because that's the life you've been invited into. Jesus called it the abundant life. The life where you believe, where you know you're confident God is with me, he's in me, he's for me. That was the destiny Israel had been invited into. It was the, it was the life that Samson was invited into and, and Gideon was invited into. Samson threw it away because he was looking around. Gideon stepped into it and God used him to do extraordinary things. Was, was, was Gideon perfect? Nope. <laughs> the end of Gideon's story is tragic. But in this moment, he stepped into what God had for him. And my prayer coming in today has been real simple. God, would you just do what no communicator can do? Like no sermon can do this. Would you open our eyes for just a minute, just a few seconds, to see ourselves the way you see us, men and women who submitted ourselves to the lordship of Jesus, who God is with, and he's in, and he's for, and that we, by God's grace, because of his activity in our life, would be extraordinary bosses, extraordinary spouses, extraordinary kids, extraordinary students, extraordinary employees, whatever you are, and stop elevating all the other voices in your life, 
above what God says about you. And start asking yourself the question, what would somebody who was absolutely confident that God was with me, in me, and for me do? What would that look like? And if that became the habit, that became the filter of your decision-making, we become extraordinary as our Heavenly Father sees us. Our Heavenly Father designed us to be. And that, man, that would be extraordinary. That would be different. That would be different. God is with you. He's in you. And he's for you. And that is enough. It's enough. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, would, would you please in this moment just lift our eyes, our vision off of our ordinary, what, what some of us really consider our mundane lives and give us a glimpse of what it would look like to live the abundant life you came to give us. Would, would you please, as the psalmist says, open the eyes of our hearts? Paul wrote, would you enlighten our hearts and our minds so we could just catch a glimpse of how you see us? I, I don't know how else to say it, so I'm just going to ask you to do it. And then, God, would you give us, would you give me the courage to step into that, to live the abundant life you came to give us, to, to live an extraordinary life that you've invited us, us into? Not the, not the pain-free life, not the t- trouble-free life, not the, the puppies and rainbows life but the life where we are confident, regardless of what we have faced, are facing, or will face, that you're with us, you're in us, and you're for us. And God, I pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, who, who loved us so much that he willingly gave his life on our behalf to show us how much we are worth to you. God, help us to live lives worthy of that calling. Help us to live the extraordinary life that you've made available and to reflect back to you your glory. I pray it in Jesus' name.